Well, good morning and welcome to you. It's a rather historic day, I think, today. We find ourselves in unusual circumstances. And as you can tell, I am not at the RBC uh, Auditorium this morning, but I'm speaking to you from my home. So, necessity being the mother of invention, uh, this is how we're going to share today. And although you won't have the pretty pictures behind me, I'll try my best to guide you into what you should be seeing had, you, um, had we been able to do that. We're starting a new preaching series today, The End of Me. And it's a follow-on from the series that we have been looking at over the last couple of months, the Not a Fan but a Follower program. And if you've been joining with us in live stream over the last number of weeks, you will have seen the promotion clip that is uh, about the Bible study or the online small group that is going to be run in conjunction with this four-week series. And it's based around the Beatitudes as a place where we discover what it means to come to an end of ourselves. Unlike the world where it's about success, Jesus turns things on their head and it becomes about surrender and about what it marks, what marks those of the kingdom of heaven. In this first week together, we're going to explore what it means to be broken, to be whole. Verse 3 of Matthew 5 says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I think it becomes a little clearer to our exploration today when we read from the message, where verse 3 reads like this, You're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there is more of God and his rule. So, if you've ever felt at the end of yourself, we want to turn to God's word today and discover how we can come from brokenness to wholeness. The Beatitudes talks to us of those poor in spirit. And it's not just talking about the brokenhearted here, people with um, some sense of emotional despair, but I believe it's about the brokenness in all the big and small things that are actually death to us. Because indeed we are broken. We are born into a sinful nature and a fallen, broken world. And we're not just broken, but we are dead in our sins. Christ is our only hope. He offers wholeness and life. When we feel broken, we have the chance to experience his grace all the more. When we recognise our poverty of spirit, we can know the kingdom of God. When we feel weak, we can know his strength. When we feel dirty, we can feel or know his purity. When we feel foolish, we can know his wisdom. When we feel broken, we can know his wholeness. And when we recognise brokenness and an end of ourselves, and then we can identify with Christ, his death and resurrection. And we have the opportunity to be transformed from this brokenness to wholeness, from death to life. For myself, I found a much clearer understanding of this whole concept comes to me from Galatians 2.20. Just would like to read that for you now. Galatians 2.20 I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, 
but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now I'd just like you to imagine that uh, we have that verse there and we're going to actually work our way through the parts of that particular verse. Um, We're going to start with the section that is, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Just as in the verse from the Beatitudes, we have an end of ourselves and a demonstration of the kingdom of God. And this first section is really about death, a death that leads to a new identity. I... Me, myself, have been crucified. I have died with Christ. I have been crucified. It's a past thing. Death means the past is put behind us. But we have a little problem because we tend to retain the memory of our sin and our past and we tend to bring it up out of the grave, as it were, And which is why baptism can be such a powerful experience and a testimony, not just a declaration to others, but to ourselves, a reminder that our past is behind us. It lays buried and we have risen to new life. It's a little bit hard to conceive of because we know that it is still us, but we become like spiritual babies where we drink the spiritual milk, eat the spiritual food, begin to behave in more spiritual ways, to cast off the old and put on the new, transforming us from what was a broken, a dead person to a whole living person. Some of you may have watched some US crime shows or um, movies in your time and may be aware of the witness protection program that's often referenced Um, usually a person who's been called upon to give testimony against someone in organised crime. And because of the danger that they're in, they're given a new new life, uh, a new background. Their past is uh, gone. They are given a whole new uh, existence, in a sense. We recognise it's the same person, but they gain a new situation and a background. Their past, their old past no longer exists for them and they enter into a new experience. And as Christians, when we choose to identify with Christ through his death on the cross, we put our past behind us and enter into a new experience of life in Christ. 2 Corinthians says it like this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. And we need to remind ourselves of two things in our current experience. It is not a competition for who is or who was the most broken. It's not a competition for who is or was the most broken. It is about recognising our brokenness and choosing a right response. And the second thing is that surrender to brokenness is not a surrender to hopelessness. Now, brokenness and death are not our go-to chat topics. Um, Our natural inclination is to shy away from these things because when we think about brokenness, we think about pain, we think about suffering, and 
it would be easy for myself or anyone to speak about these things and, and for words to roll from the tongue and to, for it to seem like platitudes. I'm very conscious of that um, this morning as I share with you that we recognise and acknowledge that there is pain in these situations and that people often don't feel that they have the capacity and strength to face whatever situation. But... I also think we need to not shy away from the uncomfortable truth that we have limited capacity and strength. And what we want to do is not rest in that or to be able to recognise our capacity and strength is limited. But if we have been crucified with Christ and he now lives within, we can have confidence that Christ can deal with the situations we face. It's not that we bring ourselves out of brokenness and death but we need to trust God. So when we talk about death to self and life in Christ, there are also two elements at play. One, the pivotal moment of surrender to Christ and two, the ongoing every moment surrender to Christ. Death, not as an end, but as a beginning. When we look to the cross for what it means, it brings new identity, a new identity where we are no longer bound by the fear of death but we are made free in Christ to live and to love. In the words of a recent song from City of Light, Sydney, death was once my great opponent. Fear once had a hold on me, but the son who died to save us rose that we would be free indeed. Free from every plan of darkness, free to live and free to love. Death is dead and Christ is risen. It is finished upon that cross. So having been given a new identity, how then do we live? Well, we come to the second part of this scripture. We live a life of faith in the Son of God. It says, and the life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God. It's a life in our body. Not just a spiritual exercise, divorced from our physical being, it is a life lived in the body. The whole of us are looking beyond ourselves, end of me, beginning of Christ in me. In the words of 2 Corinthians, we are maybe hard pressed on every side, but we are not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. We exchange our brokenness for wholeness in Christ. There is an acronym, WWJD. It might be familiar to many of you. What would Jesus do? It was particularly popular in the United States. In fact, from a book um, in the 18, late 1800s, I believe, Charles Sheldon, In His Steps, What Would Jesus Do? But it had a huge resurgence in the 1990s, uh, from which most people would know it. It became the catch cry and motto of many Christians. And smart merchandising entrepreneurs got on board and they started marketing um, bracelets, apparently at one point selling up to 15 million a year as well as t-shirts, hats, keychains and all around this phrase uh, that was to be a reminder of how to act and to demonstrate the love of Jesus. I think the greater question though is actually what will I do as a person who has Christ within me? 
and a question that we don't need a bracelet on us to advertise. The question instead is, are we standing at a figurative distance asking what would Jesus do in some removed way or are we looking for what we can do, uh, seeking for the Christ within to be evident and growing into more godly responses because of Christ in us? Our church motto reminds us that we want to be a community growing in Jesus. We are learning how to be people who live as those with Christ within. And sometimes we are quick to judge ourselves and our community when we don't live up to this high calling. But I want to encourage you this morning. This is a thing we are learning. This is a demonstration of our faith in the Son of God that we are learning and growing. And it's wonderful when we see it in the lives of those around us. People like Mark and Nolene, who obviously would give up time for themselves to pray and to prepare and to come and to play songs for us and to pray with us on a Sunday morning on a regular basis. For those like Chris, who've spent endless hours over the last number of years uh, enabling us to have live stream broadcasts. Like those like Richard, who are mostly unnoticed, goes about a, a number of jobs around our church facilities and buildings, including the weekly bin duty. The team at the well, who continue to serve with their hearts and their hands, uh, giving access to resources to those in need. And they're just some of the more obvious examples, and I'm sure that you represent many other acts of quiet faith and maybe not so quiet faith. I wonder who springs to your mind as we speak about living lives of faith. Someone who seems to have spiritual glasses enabling them to look beyond the evidence of the things seen to the things unseen. I've seen a number of clips over the last number of years of people who have been given the gift of colour correcting glasses the emotion in those moments is quite incredible as the people put on these glasses and what once was dull becomes a glorious technicolour for them and they see things that they have not seen before. And I wonder if we have on our colour correcting glasses, our spiritual lens, to be able to see things with confidence and assurance, recognising that our faith is a gift and demonstrating our faith in action. Faith in the sun is demonstrated in our everyday, but historically speaking, there are some rather famous lives of faith that inspire us. And what is interesting is the achievement of these people, the output of activity and these incredible achievements, whether it was Livingston mapping geography in Africa, Ida Scudder establishing health work in India, Cameron Townsend initiating translation work in South America, David Wilkerson founding Teen Challenge in North America or George Mueller caring for orphans in England. Now George Mueller is a, a rather famous faith missionary. He was known for relying on God to work beyond his own capacity and he cared for over 10,000 orphans during his lifetime. He established 17 schools and provided education for over 120,000 children. And an oft quoted story of um, George Muller is of a, an experience that he had 
there were 300 children in an orphanage and the, the Han uh, mother came to him and said there is no food for the children. And he responded by asking her to take them into the dining room, to seat them at the tables. And there he went and he thanked God for the food and they waited because he had the faith that God would provide. As they waited, the, there was a knock at the door. The baker announcing he'd been unable to sleep the night before and sensing that he may need bread for, these, for this orphanage, he had risen from his bed and baked. Shortly after, they had another knock at the door. The milkman's cart had broken down outside the orphanage and the milkman knew that by the time the wheel on the cart had been fixed, his milk would be spoilt. And so he offered to them the ten large cans of milk for free. Just enough for 300 thirsty children. The life we now live in our body, we live by faith. A faith that rests in the Son of God. Not a helpless, hopeless, futile thing. It rests in the Son of God, the author and perfecter of our faith. A faith that Apostle Paul could say that was so great that everything else he considered rubbish in comparison with gaining Christ and being found in him. And he knew that it was through faith that this righteousness came from God through faith. And he desired to know Christ in his resurrection power, sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that he might also attain resurrection. He knew the key was faith in the Son of God. So having experienced death to ourselves and a new identity as those who have Christ within, we live by faith in the Son of God. And thirdly, we live a life of love through the power of God at work both to us and from us. For this is the God who loved us. He loved me. He loved you and gave himself for us. Love and power. God loved us. He so loved the world he gave his son. The son so loved the father he was obedient. Obedient even to death on a cross. God had the power to choose and he chose us. We are not worthless even when we feel broken. We are valuable, beloved, treasured, chosen because we are made in God's image and belong to him. We are loved to the extent that God would send his son to earth to suffer and to die, to experience a brokenness from himself a brokenness from God the Father and the Holy Spirit. Ephesians tells us, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves. The Son also had the power to choose and he chose us to be a fellow human, to face death and separation from the Godhead, a broken relationship with the Godhead and a demonstration of his power over death through resurrection. When Jesus prayed for all believers in John 17, he spoke of us being brought to complete unity to let the world know that he was sent from God and that God loved us 
even as God loved Christ. The Spirit had the power to choose and he chose us to comfort us, to guide us, to teach us and to intercede for us according to God's will. And it's this Spirit of God that empowers us to accept the love of God so that we are able to choose death and life and love as our response to him and to each other. Love is the first and greatest commandment and the second like it. Total love of the Father, of God and our love of our neighbour. And our love for God is expressed as wanting to please him. This is how Jesus expressed his love for God, pleasing him by communing with him and through obedience. And this is how we can please the Father and demonstrate our love by enjoying him, by wanting to please him, by being obedient and surrendering to his will and ways. It is by this death to self, a life of faith and trust and loving well. How do we love well? What does that look like? Well, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. It's an easy list to roll off the tongue, but then comes the reality of how do we live these things. It's about spending time in his presence, speaking with him, enjoying his blessings in this world, listening to him so we can know how to be obedient, being generous to others with our time and the money and the talents and the skills that he has given us, kindness, small things that might have great meaning for others, a compliment, a chore done voluntarily. Love is about waiting, hopefully without grumbling, waiting in line at the supermarket queue, not rushing to see which is the quickest way to exit, but perhaps looking for those who might need to go ahead. Taking things easy in the traffic, giving ourselves time, recognising that other people on the road also have um, things to go and do. Being available on someone else's timeline, not at our own convenience. It's about waiting for answers to prayer. We live in a very instant world and sometimes when you watch clips on, whether it's TV or social media, the, the images come at us so quickly. Um, sometimes you can feel a little bit seasick with the, the pace. But love is about waiting and being patient. It's a, a, an art that we need to learn. And I think that COVID maybe has given us some practice at this. Um, I suspect I'm not a very good student and that many of us are struggling with that. But we need to learn to be more patient and to wait. Learn this art of waiting. Love is about pausing when anger starts to rise. Is this about self? Self is dead. Maybe we need to think about thankfulness instead. Love is being glad when people speak and act honestly. Not arguing, but having a wisdom to look beyond our own prejudice. But also brave enough to speak unpopular truths. Love is trying not to recall the errors of ourselves or others or point them out. It's about keeping going, hoping, trusting and believing in a God who loves us. The love that God gives and demonstrates to us was freely given. The Son of God loved us and gave himself for us. 
His life was not taken from him. He gave himself to death and by the power of God was raised to life and out of love for us desires to share that life. Love by the power of God frees us to choose a response, to freely love God and each other. So then, our initial question, how do we deal with brokenness that we experience and live with? These feelings of being broken, weak, crushed, imperfect, overcome, an end to ourselves. And the answer, I believe, is we come to the cross. And there we choose, will we be among the mockers or the worshippers? How do we deal with brokenness? By choosing death, life, and love, the restoration, healing, soundness and perfection that comes from being in Christ, where brokenness is turned to wholeness, death is turned to life. God offers us a new identity, a life of faith and of love. He chose us and now we have that opportunity to choose. I ask you this morning, If you will choose to identify yourself with Christ, I'm going to um, make a a number of statements. I'd like you to imagine that there is a screen with a visual there where an I dash, insert your name, choose. Um, So I'd like you to, to acknowledge this, to declare this in your mind, even out loud if that is helpful to you, to confirm your commitment to Christ, either again or for the first time. I choose death. To find a new identity by choosing to be crucified with Christ so I no longer live but continue to be sustained by Christ in me. I choose life. To live in this body a life of faith in the Son of God. I choose love to love God and to respond to the freedom he gave me when he loved me and gave himself for me to love him and to love all those created in his image a love demonstrated only by the power he offers because he first loved us the end of me is just the beginning of Christ in me